Hi, my name is Josh Kazala. I'm the host of Monday Morning Side here at WKCR. Um, this is today's episode, which aired live from 8.30 to 9.30 on September 19th, 2022. Uh, today's episode includes an interview with the School of International and Public Affairs Dean, as well as an interview about New York Fashion Week, which wrapped up last week, as well as uh, an extra special segment about breakfast from two of our reporters, Lex and Lucas. Hope you stay tuned for that. And if you're interested in tuning in live, the show airs every Monday from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, as well as WKCR.org online. Hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning, New York City. Um, it is now 8.31. You're listening to WKCR-FM New York. That's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, as well as WKCR.org online. My name is Josh Kazali. I'm the head of news and arts here at WKCR. And once again, this is week two of our brand new morning news show, Monday Morning Side. Hope you're all having a fantastic morning. It is now 72 degrees it's 8.32 in New York, um, 72 degrees with a mostly cloudy morning today, and um, we're here for the second week of Monday Morningside. Hope you're ready for an exciting episode. We have first an interview with the School of International and Public Affairs Dean. Um, later we'll be doing a feature on New York Fashion Week, which just ended last Wednesday, as well as a couple other fun things thrown in. Um, it's looking like it'll be a nice week here in the city with temperatures starting to cool down as the week goes on. Uh, a few rainy days here and there, but also a lot of sunshine. Um, this first interview was conducted by our director of programming, Sam Seliger, who interviewed Karen Yarimilo, who's the new dean of the School of International and Public Affairs here at Columbia. Um, so Sam sat down with her and talked for a decent while. This interview is about 17 minutes. I hope you enjoy. I'll turn it to Sam right now. Columbia University appointed a number of new deans to lead its various different schools this summer. Among them was Karen Yarhimilo, appointed to be dean of the School of International and Public Affairs back in May, after having served as the director of SEPA's Saltzman Institute of War and Peace Studies for two years. She took office in July. I met with Dean Yarhimilo in her office at the International Affairs Building to talk about her goals for leading the school and her experiences at Columbia. Karen Yarhimilo, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Sure, my pleasure. Um, So just first, could you sort of tell me a little bit about your background and your work in uh, foreign relations studies um, before you became the dean, uh, both here and at at Princeton before? Sure. So um, I am a scholar of international relations and within international relations, especially in international security. Um, I started my career in political science actually as an undergrad here, took my first class uh, in political science with the late Professor Robert Jervis, who taught a class on conflict and cooperation. And that really sparked my interest in this area. Uh, so since then, I've been, I've published on two kind of, uh, 
two main research agendas that you can think about. Uh, one are um, questions around decision-making in foreign policy, um, where I'm bringing psychology into the understanding of how leaders make decisions uh, around the use of force, how they assess intentions, and so on. Not just for leaders, but also intelligence organizations. Um, so if you know the kind of the work in psychology of Kahneman and Dversky of judgment and and uh, and decision making, uh, that's the, the, the literature I'm engaging with and applying it to the to the world of international affairs and how leaders make uh, decisions. So things around bias, things around um, uh, heuristic psychology of leaders, emotions, and so on. Yeah, um, that's the first kind of uh, category. You know. First part of my research. The other things is are, are issues um, pertaining to uh, credibility and reputation in international relations. So, what are the reputational consequences for backing down on a threat? Um, how do leaders think about reputation in international politics? When do they? Uh, when are they motivated to take military action because of concerns about credibility and reputation, as opposed to? intrinsic interests. So this is a kind of another line of work in my, another part of my work. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious sort of, do, would you say that your, I guess, your path towards this field was influenced by your experiences in the IDF at all? I, it seems like so, there was some overlap there between the work, with the work you did. Yeah, so, so, so first of all, it grew out of, I think that every scholar, if you really, scratch the surface a little bit, it's, you can see that things that happen in the world during transformative years, my transformative years, were very much about uh, the issues that I'm studying. Um, I grew up in Israel, this was a time of the peace process, so thinking about um, conflict and cooperation and how to get from war to peace was definitely in my, yeah. it's the world that I lived in. Then there was an assassination of a prime minister and seeing how that affected the future of the peace process. And, uh, and to me, that was a great, um, under, you know, this was a point where I understood, realized the role of the leaders play because yeah. that's really influences my writing and how much leaders matter. Um, in my military uh, service, I also did a lot on the peace process and definitely the, the relationship between intelligence and decision making on issues of understanding intentions, bargaining and all that. Yeah. I, I learned a lot. But it was only when I took classes with professors here at Columbia that I was able to put it all together. How my experiences how the bits and pieces of things that I've witnessed or in, were involved uh, with, um, what are the example of? What's the larger phenomena? What's the theoretical underpinning? What like where where are they part of a larger variation that we can explain? That's where I be it became very fascinating to me that that um, putting it all together. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming that you know, your sort of experiences doing that here as an undergrad is part of what drew you back here Absolutely. as a professor and administrator. Absolutely. And would you say the university has changed and also how has it stayed the same in its 
been yeah. nearly 20 years. Absolutely. So first of all, I definitely see myself as a product of this university. And the reason I took this job is because this place has been so transformative. Uh, I was first generation student, international student, came English as a second language. And so, and this university just gave me all the, gave me all the opportunities I could round up and much beyond. Um, and so part of what I'm here to do is to try to make this happen for as many students. So this university I love to my core and that's home, always been home. Part of what I love about Columbia so much, especially now after 20 years of Bollinger being president, the vision of fourth purpose um, is, um, is it more important and more relevant and more critical than ever? And we see this as in this university to a much larger extent than anywhere else. And in a policy school and the kind of work that I do in political science, which is very policy oriented, looks at the kind of the things, the world, that the problems the world is facing, the challenges in international security, the kind of the key issues that policymakers are wrestling with and produce research that engages those communities, that engages the policymakers, that makes the analysis, the research impactful. That's the hallmark of Columbia now, more than when I was a student here. And I think it's really part of this fourth purpose vision of, of making us much more hands-on, much more engaged with the world. I think things like the global centers, I think um, initiatives, um, in the universities around those, um, making you know, making sure we're more engaged is definitely very appealing. Yeah. The university is definitely more global with the global centers and all yeah. that, which somebody studies international relations and somebody who is an internet was an international student, you definitely feel that. Uh, and the field has changed. So when I was in when I was a student, there were not a lot of. Uh, female uh, scholars studying security. Yeah. And now we are at, uh, if you look at the policy department, for example, we have more than a few uh, tenure track or tenure faculty members studying security in international relations. There's a lot of work that we need to do. There's a, we're nowhere near where we need to do, but we need, we need to be in terms of diversity in the field, but we are much better than where we, uh, where we were yeah. when I was a student. Uh, but overall, um, Columbia, even when I was a student, was a place where, where you had this ideas of, 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 of what it means to produce excellent research and it always started with asking big and important questions yeah it was never a place where it was just about fascination about methods right. or what's cool and what's you know it was really about asking important and big questions and go for it and and give it your best shot and that was true when i was a student and that's the spirit of of uh the the of what I'm seeing here, both yeah. in the department and the SIPA and so on. Yeah, and so you mentioned sort of how the, the university has become more international. Yeah. Um, and sort of how that was important for you. What are some of your, the things that you're trying to do as dean to, to sort of, you know, pri or 
take special attention to the experiences of, of international and first-generation students. Absolutely. So, um, so there are a couple of things. So there is uh, experience of international students, experience of um, of students uh, that are from underrepresented uh, uh, backgrounds, minorities, um, and uh, and first first generation. Um, so first of all, our student body is very very international in the sense that we have students coming from a hundred, almost a hundred uh, yeah. countries. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of our students are international, so that's the beauty of SIPA, that we attract talent from across the globe, and they come here because they feel that this is the place where they are not just welcome, but that their perspective, that yeah. their lived experiences are important, and we do this um, in the way we teach, in the way we engage with them, uh, the student groups, the affiliation, different, uh, uh, we have many student organizations representing different cultures and countries and so on, and we celebrate that diversity. We have also particular programs that are geared to uh, bringing and mentoring uh, students from underrepresented uh, backgrounds. So for example, when I was director of Saltzman Institute, I created this program called Emerging Voices in National Security and Intelligence. And this was a program that uh, was about creating the pipeline and mentoring and bringing students, or women and BIPOC um, to the study of international, to the study of national security. Yeah. Um, by not just come, you know, mentoring them, but also doing lots of events with speakers who also are coming from those underrepresented uh, um, background. And, and that, that program is very successful and very transformative for in the experience of students. Um, and it's important. Uh, it's important that students can see that even in the realm of international, of security studies, of intelligence, they are, uh, th those are careers that they can pursue and that there are people there um, that look like them and, and eager yeah. to hear their, um, to, 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 to get their perspective on things. Yeah, and you also talked, you talked a little bit about um, emphasizing uh, gender diversity among mm -hmm. uh, professors and faculty. Mm -hmm. sort of how, how, how do you prioritize that as well? So we have, so big, big, big priority for SIPA this year is um, diversifying the faculty. Yeah. Um, we have an initiative, so first I put uh, together a task force on the issue of um, uh, diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Um, we are now in the process of um, uh, concluding um, reviewing files for hiring a uh, couple of faculty members that are coming from underrepresented backgrounds, um, both uh, female but also especially um, uh, underrepresented in different ways, uh, racially and so on. So we have a task force that, that now is reviewing uh, those, um, those files. So the goal is to get to a place where our faculty is much more diverse um, um, even by next year if we're successful, uh, if we're successful in recruiting, uh, but definitely get to a point where we, where we are, uh, where we feel comfortable. Right now, I don't think that um, 
you know, there's a lot of work ahead. Yeah. But we are very, very mindful of what we need to do, and and hiring faculty is a priority. Yeah. Diverse faculty is a priority. And so, like, as, as a result of a of a improvement like that, how, how would, in your view, the experiences of, of students, especially like learning, how would those be be made better through that? Well, I think that that in different ways, right? I mean, the fact that you have faculty there that are coming from similar background um, creates an environment and that, that I think is by itself signals more inclusivity. Uh, I think that um, it makes students feel that uh, there is more space just by the fact that the faculty, that there is faculty there, that, yeah. that there's more space to, um, to think about, to talk about issues in different ways compared to the way that we have talked about Usually, when you have people who are coming from different backgrounds, you will see this in the syllabi that they put together, yeah. the kind of ideas they have for um, uh, the, you know, what you should be reading or how you can think about. That comes with, that. what you get with diversity. You, you don't get the diversity just for the sake of diversity, right. but it represents really different kind of questions that people will be asking, different answers that they will be giving, different perspectives that they will have. And that will enrich the experience of students, of all students, uh, in such important ways and will enrich the experience, I mean, will enrich the community. And I think other faculty as well. Um, and. I am really eager. I wish I could expedite the process yeah. and get there. It just takes a little bit of time. Yeah, and and I guess so. In that sense, you know, for you in five years or ten years time, what would a a um, just what would you hope that SIPA looks like? Um, oh wow, that's uh, I have a very ambitious goal. For, uh, um, for, uh, program for SIPA. Uh, we are now in the process of reorganizing the school around uh, the biggest global challenges the school, the world is facing. And uh, we are, uh, for the first time, are going to be organized in kind of uh, teams and cohorts of faculty trying to solve that, uh, those problems. Uh, so these are issues around climate, uh, policy and sustainable development, issues around policy. There are five areas. Uh, the faculty at CIPA is going to work together to produce um, policy papers um, and that will um, take the research and translate into kind of actionable uh, yeah. uh, outcomes and, and policy solutions. Um, I see the school, I want to build a community here that is even um, more inclusive, warmer, and there's a lot of work that we are now um, uh, doing both at the student, uh, uh, for the students, for the staff, and for the faculty. And so I think that we will come out of that, uh, all those initiatives and programs much stronger and much more uh, inclusive and united I think that's really going to be one of our important strengths that we will uh, bring. Um, and beyond that, um, the school 
is very, very strong. And we're now kind of starting this kind of 2.0 version of it, and which hope will get us to a kind of league of its own kind of good. Um, and we're in the process of putting together a lot of interesting programs about how we can make this happen. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that's really all of, all of my questions. Um, All right, we're back. Um, once again, that was an interview with the School of International and Public Affairs Dean, um, conducted by our good friend Sam Seliger. So great job, Sam. I uh, hope you learned a little bit about SEPA, which is you know not always what's most talked about amid the other news circulating about Columbia. Um, but yeah, that was super great. Um, we have a feature on New York Fashion Week, um, which I sat down with my good friend Helen Beach. Um, we'll air that in just a little bit, but I just wanted to give a quick uh, glance at the upcoming WKCR shows for the next week or so. Tonight at 9 p.m., Jacob Grizel's Pop Talk will air as he breaks down the new Spanish singer-songwriter Rosalia album, Moto Mami. So definitely tune into that if you're interested in pop music or want to hear a little something that maybe is not traditionally aired on WKCR that'll be discussed by Jacob. Uh, he does great work with that. Tomorrow at 9 p.m., I interview two comic artists. Um, the first is Jordan Bolton on his comic scenes, Scenes from Imagined Films. So those are great comics. Uh, I definitely recommend you check those out on Instagram. And also the illustrator Eric Hansen on his beautiful work. He's done um, a lot of really great things that's aired a lot in the newspaper, The Spectator, as well as in the New York Times, uh, the New York Book Review. Um, they do... He's done covers for them, and he's done a lot of other really neat work. Um, so it was a pleasure to talk with both of them. That'll go out tomorrow at 9 p.m. Um, Friday, uh, September 23rd, is the John Coltrane birthday broadcast. So on WKCR, we'll be playing John Coltrane all day long. Coltrane, the jazz legend who would be 96 on Friday, passed away in Huntington, New York on July 17th, 1967. Tune in all day long to listen to one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, you won't regret it. And every Sunday night from 9 to 10 p.m., tune into Soundstage, WKCR's radio play show. Uh, that's by Ale Diaz-Pizarro and John Howley. They do fantastic work, and if you tuned in last night, you know this. They've just begun transitioning into student-written work. That means that the plays have essentially never been heard before. So certainly make sure you check that, check that out. Um, there will be playing another student written play this sunday it's a lot of fun and uh yeah that's essentially the next week of programming we'll be back with monday morning side again next monday but for now um i sat down with my friend helen beach who's a fashion expert or interested and is very active in that community um last week um some of you may know was New York Fashion Week, if you saw any especially well-dressed people on the subway, that's why. Um, it ended last Wednesday, and uh, Helen went to a show uh, by designer Anna Bolina and talks about that in my interview with her. Uh, this interview is about 17 minutes long, and hope you enjoy. I'll take it away to New York Fashion Week. All right, I'm here with Helen Beach. Um, how are you today, Helen? I'm pretty good, Josh. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, so Fashion Week just wrapped up, but I know you're 
passionate about fashion. Some may say I do have a passion for fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Fashion Week go, would you say, for you? So this was my first time actually experiencing like being in the thick of Fashion Week as opposed to watching it on my phone, <laughs> which I feel like most people do, and that's totally fine. But I was really lucky to be able to like go to some of the shows this year and go to some of the after parties, which was really awesome. Right. So you're you're from Indiana, is that right? Middle of nowhere, baby. Middle of nowhere. Okay. <laughs> so being a part of Fashion Week, like first of all, I'm I know nothing when it comes to fashion. Really, so, Josh? <laughs> so that might shock you if you know me, but um. So sort of how do how does it go about? Is it just everyone's having shows, you know, the whole week? Yeah. So pretty much New York Fashion Week, it's supposed to run um, this year. It was from the 7th through the 14th. But I think when you're in the middle of it, it can feel like it's lasting for like three weeks. <laughs> it's like, when is this going to be over? No, but um, yeah. So a lot of brands, um, you can like look up the schedule, like New York Fashion Week releases a schedule of shows with... Um, the CFDA, um, and this year was in partnership with IMG. And so you can go look at the schedule. And it's like a lot of major brands are right now releasing their collections for um, like spring, summer of 2023. So I guess if I'm explaining this to people that don't know <laughs> too much, it's like this is kind of giving you like a peek ahead into what like the trends are going to be, like so you could prepare ahead, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, most brands are releasing their collections for that now. So going from, you know, following that as, you know, sort of like from a distance, you know, being in Indiana, yeah. as opposed to, you know, being in New York, like, you know, you do see it like just people, you know, who go to Columbia are like just all sort of getting involved. I mean, it must be pretty exciting, right? No, it's so exciting. I feel like you can sort of feel like the energy shift in New York when um, Fashion Week starts because like I lived here over the summer and like coming into this week like suddenly like six foot people are on the subways <laughs> everywhere there's just these like glam demons roaming the street <laughs> like suddenly i'm seeing way more rick owens on the subway i'm seeing i'm seeing the yeezy gap sunglasses i'm seeing <laughs> just absolute like you start to feel bad about yourself it's like oh wow gosh, i need yeah. to like i need to get my so i can't curse i need to yeah. get myself together yeah um no yeah it's really fun you can just feel the energy shift you can feel um the winds of LA being swept <laughs> into New York. Like you can physically feel it's like a shiver down your spine. It's like, I think I'm sitting next to someone from LA right now. I it's know. Really I mean, I remember it last year when I came to Columbia, like someone's like, you know, you know, he's like a, like a, he's a model. I was like, what? <laughs> like I, I, I was not interacting with any of that. Suddenly <laughs> every conversation you have when you go out is what do you do? Oh, I'm a creative. I'm oh, yeah. a DJ slash model <laughs> slash creative director slash blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah. okay, so you're here for Fashion Week. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you should yeah. have just said that. So what was your big sort of feature for Fashion Week? What was the biggest, the biggest night for you? Biggest night, I would say, would be Tuesday. I feel like things start to ramp up towards the end of the week mm -hmm. because... Um, Tuesday was the 13th and Fashion Week is technically over on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like, I feel like people were gearing up for like their last parties. Like this is kind of like the blowout, like end to the week. And right. um, I was invited to um, Anna Bellina's Spring Summer 23 collection, which now, 
Who is Anna Bolina? <laughs> now that is a loaded question. Okay, so she's like technically not like that's the thing about fashion because I feel like a lot of smaller brands are still showing their collections even if they're not like officially on the schedule or like right. in the official venues. So um, Anna Bolina is a smaller designer out of New York. Um, She's so awesome. I <laughs> I know. I've seen the stuff that you wear. It's yeah. really, really cool. No, yeah. I own a couple of her pieces. Um, essentially, I feel like her approach to fashion is just like hyper feminine, bold, like in your face sexiness, just like aggressive, like just so, so bad. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. It's yeah. kind of all about just like bold statements. Like a lot of her pieces are very graphic. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is honestly pretty nude. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's really, Google really at cool. your own risk, but yeah, it's, really, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Plugging Anna Bolina on Instagram. <laughs> but it's really cool. Um, yeah. So I guess, how did that, I saw you, I saw Helen before she went to the show trying to get the outfit <laughs> together. But what, oh. so once you get to the show, which was, where was the show? Um, it? it was in a gallery in Soho, and it was kind of one of the spaces where, like, there had already been, like, several fashion shows there before, like, mainly for, you know, smaller brands who, like, don't necessarily have their own, like, show space. Um, so that was really cool. But, yeah, it was just, like, very, like, white walls, like, mm -hmm. seats, just very, like, all focused on the fashion, which was very cool. So you get there, um... Should what, I describe what to the viewers next? what I'm yeah, wearing? Describe, describe. <laughs> well, first, yeah, let's describe the, the okay. outfit. What, what would one wear to a New York Fashion Week show? So, <laughs> you're asking me, and I will be <laughs> honest, I did pull up to this venue in black and white sneaker wedges. Um, I was wearing my Annabellina tights, which have, um, it says, um, money, power, drama, fame on it, which is, like, really fun. Um, I was wearing gold <laughs> tight spandex over said tights and I was wearing a graphic tube top several necklaces and bangles and to top it all off I was wearing my yeah it's my marching band hat yeah um, <laughs> pretty excellent <laughs> so that'll give you a taste yeah, of, you know, a small taste. to make us make a splash at fashion week what one this has is to what do. one yeah. would wear yeah <laughs> um and so yeah I pull up to the show I'm by myself um but then as I see this line like wrapped around the building and I'm like, oh God, like I'm going to have to wait in this line. But then I fortunately run into two of my friends outside, my friend Noah and my friend Daxon, who are both like um, fashion DJ-esque right. <laughs> people. <laughs> um, and so I definitely hop in the line with them and suddenly I find myself inside the show sitting in the second row behind Dev Hines of Blood Orange. Amazing. Almost pissed myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really <laughs> was that incredible. Like, was that like on purpose or just coincidence? It was total coincidence. Wow. I sat down and I just kind of looked. I was like, wait, like the person sitting right in front of me looks extremely familiar. And I was like, that is because it is Dev Hines. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I was like, no, it was, it was really unexpected. I did not realize that he was an Anna Bolina fan, but I think yeah. I respect him more. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. And the show hasn't even started yet. No, the show already. hasn't even started yet. I'm already having, like, the time of life. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So what's the what's the the runway like? I do know about the runways. Right. So basically, we're sitting there. Lights dim. It goes completely black. Lights come back up. And out comes um, this awesome DJ who I um, – her name is Him Hun. Um, awesome trans woman out of Chicago. And um, 
she comes out on the runway in full Anna Bolina, does a turn around the pillar at the end of the runway and comes up to this DJ set in the middle of the runway. And everyone is just sitting silently, just like waiting to see what she's going to play. And just these just loud, just like, just starts coming out the speakers and everyone is like okay like as she does like an entire like performance art like dj set before the show even starts it was maybe like three four minutes of her just like mixing like dancing like she was the center of attention it was so so cool and um she eventually starts like mixing in some um like more familiar songs like songs Mm -hmm. with words so kind of cues us to know like okay like models are probably about to start coming out and so yeah she goes through an entire just like magical like (laughs) dj performance it was like what is it was so cool and then um yeah models start coming out in the looks turning looks (laughs) yeah yeah it was so cool so Um, what did you what did you think of the show yeah i thought it was really really awesome i think um her designs like i think oftentimes when you're a smaller brand like you um, might not have like as many access like resources like you know you don't have like an atelier to like help you like do all this stuff so it maybe seemed a slight bit rushed but that's like totally fine because it was so cool my favorite part was um like they had these dresses that um like on the side of the skirt was like a strap of like a handbag so you could like pick up the skirt and put it over your shoulder oh, as if cool. it was a handbag it was so so inventive and just like very creative like just the, all the models were just all different. Like, there was so much diversity on the runway. Like, you had older models, like, mm-hmm. gray hair. You had um, a lot of, like, trans women, a lot of POC women, which was awesome to see. Like, all shapes and sizes. Um, one of my friends, Anastasia Vlasenko, was walking in the show, so that was a fun surprise to that see her fun, there. Yeah. yeah, just all sorts of stripper heels because... Um, part of <laughs> part of Anne's background is she used to be a stripper, so oh, I think okay. that's kind of where she gets a lot of her, yeah. um, like... You know, it's like her designs are very empowering, I yeah. think. So it was really, really amazing. So as someone who's sort of been interested or like been following fashion, as I know you have been, what are you like looking for when you're going to these shows? Like, is it like what is what is the thing that catches your eye or is it just something that you know catches your eye that's new? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I've mainly this is the first ever fashion show I've been to because this is like my first mm-hmm. fashion week in the city. Um I feel like mainly what I look for on the runway is, first of all, silhouette. I feel like that's what catches your eye first. Um, so, like, the form. Yeah, like, the form okay. going down the runway. You see, like, the silhouette of the look, and I think that is what catches my eye. Then I like to look at fabrics. Um, I'm really interested in, like, details on fabrics because I think when you're sitting, like, up close in person to something, as opposed to, like, viewing mm-hmm. a photo, you can really see the way that, like, movement or, like, light reflects off the fabric. Or, and like, you were just, very close. I was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was really lucky. I was very close. It yeah. was, yeah, and I, I think um, it's really interesting to see how, like, the personality of the models, like, brings things to life or, like, mm-hmm. the music. Like, if you get the full, like, surround sound experience for, like, what the designer really wants you to get out of the collection. So that's really cool. Like, you get a lot more details, I think, sitting in person than you ever would watching, like, a live stream. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So it was a good experience then. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and yeah. I know I feel like I do definitely like see when I do see things about Fashion Week. It's usually like these very like avant-garde sort of like yeah. pieces that are like really like outlandish, and people are like, "Oh, like what even is fashion these days?" Like, <laughs> like what do you say to people like that who are you know are very resistant to that sort of um, new sort of baby? It's couture. <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's all I have to say. No, I, th- I think fashion oftentimes isn't taken very seriously for, like, a variety of reasons. I mean, 
it's typically considered something that's more feminine. I think that's mm-hmm. ob- the obvious reason why it's not taken very seriously. But, you know, I think it's an art form, like whether or not it's ready to wear or it's couture, I think, um, you know, the most creative people are willing to embrace like new yeah. designs. And um, I think fashion is some of the most powerful form of self-expression out there. And I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself. I totally, yeah. So true, Josh. <laughs> well, um, so what what does the rest of the night entail? Because I know is like how much of Fashion Week is you know just fashion, but how much of it is just people sort of meeting and that sort of thing? I feel like a lot of people that are interested in fashion, like I still do feel like to get invites to like larger brands, it is like pretty difficult. Like you mm-hmm. need to be in the industry, but I feel like half of Fashion Week is literally just the after parties. Like yeah. you do not. How much need to of it be. is business and how much <laughs> yeah. of it is pleasure? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that depends on how involved you are in the industry. But for someone like me, it was about like ninety percent pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> like you do not need to be at the show to go to the after party. Um, really? Yeah, I was not at any of the shows that I went to the after parties for. So what was the best after party? So that night, um, we ended up at the Fufu after party. Um, so who's who's Fufu? Fu and Fu is just like another brand. Okay. Um, I don't know too much about them, but I do know that their after party was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> They're like probably a little bit smaller. I mm-hmm. mean, like I think for people that don't like aren't like avid followers of fashion, like mm-hmm. you know, you hear like Chanel and you're like, oh, I know what that is. Right. But like someone would hear of like Fu and Fu would be like, I'm not really sure what that yeah. is. So I don't. But well, yeah. it is great that you're able to, you know, recognize smaller brands around this time of I year. mean, hey, I think a lot of creativity is coming out of smaller brands. Yeah. But um, they were, like, an official listed show okay, on cool. the schedule, so that was really cool. Um, yeah, after the show, I, me and my friends ended up going to Cafe Select, refreshed with espresso martinis, <laughs> had a really basic Soho Tribeca <laughs> evening. <laughs> and then the big debate was, are we going to go to the Anna Valina after party because my friend's DJ set at the after party wasn't until like three in the morning. Wow. And I yeah. was like, I don't know. It's a school night. <laughs> no, I'm <Yeah>. just kidding. <laughs> but um, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hang in there for that. So then we ended up going to the Foo and Foo party at, it's called the Boom Boom Room. <laughs> 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 it's like right by um, like the Whitney and the Highline or mm-hmm. if any of your listeners have been to LeBain, it's pretty close <laughs> to LeBain. <laughs> um, except there's no horse in here. Really disappointing. Um, but yeah, so we ended so up going a, there. So what's a what's a after party like in Fashion Week? It was genuinely one of the most glamorous things I've ever seen in my wow. life. And <laughs> as someone, I feel like I tend to go out a lot. And I think one of the big things for people that are involved in Fashion Week is I feel like every club or bar that you try to go to that you normally frequent, they're like, oh, sorry, it's reserved for Fashion Week. It's like <laughs> so impossible to go out. <laughs> like, So this was really cool. Um, we ascended into this building it was like i don't know like the 20th floor of this building it was like total rooftop moment we just like came up into this club and it was just like everyone is so um some might say they're fashionable (laughs) 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 yeah like imagine that (laughs) at a fashion week after party no it was just like just super i think that's what's so fun about fashion week is like half the time you're not even just seeing the fashion on the Mm -hmm. runways you're seeing what like followers of fashion are um bringing like just to the streets like I really enjoy looking at street style mm-hmm. I really enjoy looking at everyone's outfits just like the people watching is like nothing you've ever seen in your life I <laughs> like, mean that's the thing is yeah. like it's really interesting because it's like 
definitely like out of everything like that is where you're putting the most thought into your outfit yeah. and it's like everyone is you like, saw me in the dick of it I, was, to I, was, I saw you going through the the, <laughs> the train of thought it's like intense right? like right? i have no idea what i would wear yeah no yeah that's what's so fun about it though like i feel like even before the fashion show started like I feel like I got a fashion week experience just looking around yeah. at all the guests there. Like, I mean, that is yeah, a big part of fashion week. It's it is. Like, it's just street style and like seeing like what are my like peers bringing to the table. It's really yeah. inspiring and like motivational. And um, yeah, I feel like I saw every model I've ever known of in my <laughs> life at this at this after at this after party. Like we just, I don't know. It was a lot of dancing. It was a lot of. Um, a lot of mingling on the rooftop mm-hmm. it was a lot of just admiring the view um it was a lot of open bar <laughs> it was am i allowed to say that yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah. <laughs> but yeah no it was it was really really just a magical experience like something about seeing just like i said just people watching meeting people like just there was like a lot of collaboration there yeah, yeah. well Sounds like it was a pretty good experience. Yeah, I'm leaving out one key detail. We did see Donald Glover at the <laughs> after party. <laughs> so you had everyone a says it was Donald spotting. Glover. I was not 100 percent convinced, but we were dancing like right by him, and everyone was like, "That's Donald Glover." I was like, "You know what? That's Donald Glover." It's like, more fun to think it's, it's more fun to think it Donald was. Glover I feel like it was. Yeah, but I don't know. Wow. Well, yeah. that's a, an amazing story. It sounds like an amazing night and a good fashion week it sounds like yeah it was a pretty great fashion week um next year i'm hoping to um even like knock down even more the amount of shows that i'm watching yeah i stream on my phone <laughs> I, I have no yeah. <laughs> no doubt that you will <laughs> we will see yeah well thanks so much for coming on the show yeah you're welcome josh yeah uh best of luck and cheers future fashion ex escapades <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to Helen for coming on the show. She has a natural gift for storytelling. Um, She's super great. Uh, This next show is something a little different. Um, It's called Who's the Ferris of Them All, which is from my friends uh, Lex and Lucas. Uh, Lex Mizell and Lucas Schlesinger. Uh, So essentially, there is only one dining hall open on campus today. Um, until 9.30. And that is Ferris Dining Hall. They serve your usual suspects for, um, you know, continental um, breakfast. There's eggs, there's omelets, there's sometimes pancakes, usually bacon or maybe a biscuit or two. Um, So this next show is essentially a morning interview show of people having their breakfast, you know, going to class, uh, news and arts and WKCR is a student run radio. So, you know, we want to give a taste of what students are doing, what student life is like, and this is as good a sense of any, I'll take it away to Lex and Lucas. I'm Lex Mizell. And I'm Lucas Lessinger. And this is Who's the Ferris of the Mall? Where we get the scoop on breakfast. It's 8.45 a.m. and we're in the Ferris Commons Dining Hall, the only open dining hall on campus. We're talking to Macy Pine. What are you having for breakfast, Macy? Uh, I'm having an omelet and a croissant. Is it good? It's pretty good. What class do you have after this? I have, like, lift for, for my sport. What sport? Diving. Do you like diving? I do like diving. Do you like lifting? I love lifting. Which do you like more? Diving, probably. 
Good talking to you. Thank you. All right, we're here with ZK. In what the omelet line. What do you get on your omelet, ZK? Uh, let me see if I can recall. Like, uh, I think I got green pepper, broccoli, uh, cheese, tofu, chicken, and spinach. Oh, omelet. Is that what you normally get? Uh, I think so. <laughs> do you like the omelet line? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not many, it's one of the not many few like, you know, fresh omelet like options like early in the morning, so. So yeah. Especially this early when Ferris is the only dining hall open on yeah. campus. Yeah, I mean, uh, John Jay opens at, it's not open until like 9.30, so it sucks. Do class after this? Uh, not really, but I just like, you know, like get up early. And Why do you get up early? Uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes it, I mean, sometimes it feels like frustrating when you get out late. So, might as well just you know get get up early. And what year are you? In what school are you? I'm a junior, uh, in CC. What do you study? Uh, computer science. All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, great talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Have a nice day, buddies. You too. We're here with Henry. Uh, Henry, what year are you, and what do you study? I'm a junior in CC. I'm studying psychology. And what are you getting for breakfast? Probably get some oatmeal, some eggs. Is that what you is that what you normally get? That is what I normally get. Yes. What do you have after this? I have practice with my team. What tennis team? practice. Tennis practice. Tennis practice. Do you like tennis? I love tennis. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that it's important to eat breakfast before tennis practice? I'd say it's pretty important. But even if you're not going to tennis practice, it's important to start your day off with a great breakfast. Good advice. What do you get on your oatmeal? I put some brown sugar on it. Nothing else. What about on your eggs? <laughs> I like to eat my eggs. Maybe with some cheese, but mostly just plain eggs. Do you like the Ferris eggs? No, I hate them. Why? Well, I like the... The omelet bar, but the ones that the, the scrambled eggs are not very good. They upset my stomach. Well, this is actually a great segue into our next segment, the egg Red test. <laughs> we test the eggs and let you know how they are. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Henry. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. And we're back with the egg report. So we're sitting here in front of a plate of the food from the Ferris breakfast line. Let's start with the eggs, Lucas. How do they look visually? Well, visually, they're, they're pretty consistent, I, I would say. Sort of a light yellow color, but then there's this one sort of darker yellow patch um, that I'm noticing. I'm also noticing that. I'm noticing that there are a few also maybe even darker, maybe slightly burnt patches. One thing that's notable for sure about today is the crumbly consistency. Sometimes it is you get sort of like one large boulder of eggs today. We're, we're certainly closer to the pebble territory. Not sand by any means, but definitely pebbles. Pebble, maybe gravel. Um, and also important to notice is that sometimes you get these sort of very like flat textures on the edge and we don't have that. This is a sort of more um, heterogeneous texture that we're working with. Certainly. All right, going in for a fork test. They're bouncy for sure. Yeah, they, they stick on the fork, they're consistent. Mm -hmm. And they're bad. <laughs> Don't do it. Sweeter than normal. Really? Yeah, I feel like that that isn't normally this. this One sweet. thing that, would you say it's worse than normal or just bad in a vacuum? Bad in a vacuum without a doubt, but mm -hmm. 
I couldn't say worse than normal in good yeah, conscience. Yeah, me neither. This was a good, good egg day, maybe overall. Yep, they're, they're just fine. Just Moving on to the other items from the breakfast Ferris line. We t- today there were tater tots, gravy, biscuits, uh, sausage patties, and cheese blintzes. We're going to start off with the sausage patties. They are exactly normal. Exactly normal. They're very greasy and notably seasoned, but with sort of a impossible to describe flavor of anything except for savory. Very normal. Now the biscuit, which is a little wet. It's a wet biscuit day. It's a wet biscuit day. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. Always good with the biscuits. Moving quickly into the tater tots, they are normal. They taste like every other tater tot in the whole world. Um, and the sausage gravy was an incredibly strange texture this morning. It is obviously yesterday's sausage gravy, or even the day before's sausage gravy, which is awesome. It's a legacy gravy. Yeah. And it's only gotten better with age. mm -hmm. Like a fine wine. And lastly, the cheese blintzes, which we did not have, but they, I'm sure, are the same as always and are not good. Never had a cheese blintz. Oh, really? Never once. Well, I mean, in general, but... Well, tune in next time on the Ferris... (laughs) On who's the Ferris of them all. I know the name of our show. Yeah, yeah, you've got it down. Um, And speaking of that, we can move into our final segment where we decide who is the Ferris of them all. Hmm. What are you thinking, Lucas? I mean, Henry. And then Henry gave some great answers and some excellent advice about starting your day off with breakfast. I agree. I mean, the way that Henry recommended breakfast to all people, regardless of where they're going... I think that that is the Ferris of them all. Tune in next week for more contestants on Ferris of them all. Thanks again to Lex and Lucas for getting the scoop this morning, bright and early. Um, Super funny guys. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone who participated. Um, Ferris is definitely a difficult place to describe. But to those of you who are wondering what life is like as a Columbia student, I think that gives a pretty good inside glance at what an early morning might be. We saw a lot of student athletes. You heard the sounds, most importantly, of the dining hall. You know, that blaring pop music. Um, You know, that is life as a Columbia student at 8.45 in the morning. So once again, hopefully we'll be back with that um, next week if you enjoy it. This has been essentially our show. This has been Monday Morning Side. My name is Josh Kazali. It's now 8.21 a.m. here in New York City. Um, it's Monday, September 19th. And you've heard an interview with the SIPA dean, um, as well as a glance at New York Fashion Week. And now breakfast you had <laughs> with Lex and Lucas. Um, so now we will be going into our classical show after this at 9.30 Um, thanks again so much for listening and I hope you have a great rest of your day.